Hello and welcome to this week's Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week I'm talking to a couple from my church, Roy and Yoka, who are a retired missionary couple and this is something of their story. I'm here with Roy Ball and his wife Yoka, uh, Reverend Roy Ball. Roy, um, I wonder if you could just tell us when you were ordained. You can, you can give it to the nearest five or ten years, if that's easy. 1985. <laughs> 1985. So that's a number of years ago. And um, what did you do in your life before that, Roy? I taught English as a foreign language. I taught adults with mixed nationality classes. And um, I did that for five, six years. Okay. Uh, Here in England? And also in Japan, two and a half years. Uh, mostly in England. And uh, I was a student for about seven or eight years as well. Okay. I mean, that's quite a lightweight. I was a student for about 14 years, so... Uh, that's put me in my <laughs> I, place. No, it's fine. I think it's just that I was a very, very slow learner. And so you were ordained, uh, Roy, and, and at that time, um, did you have a sense of the kind of ministry that, that God was calling you to for the next 30 years or so? No, not really at all. I thought I'd be serving in England for my lifetime, um, so I was quite a surprise to find myself considering other things, other places. Okay, so you did your initial curacy in England, didn't you? A curacy and then uh, a post as um, an assistant in a team ministry or a plurality, as it's known, in uh, Litchfield Diocese. Okay, oh, and you've come home to Litchfield Diocese, there yes. you go. Um, and so at what point was it that you began to think maybe the Lord might be calling you elsewhere? In my second post, I had a senior minister, the team rector, who had worked with uh, ICS, International Intercontinental Church Society. Right. Um, I think he had done summer uh, temporary posts, and uh, he mentioned it, and my ears pricked up because I had languages, and I had worked abroad before, so I thought, oh, that might be a possibility. Yeah, so it was obviously something you had a natural skill and aptitude for and some experience with. And so then, um, unlike me, who I can read quite a lot of dead languages, but I can't really hold a conversation in anything but English. It it would have been a much harder calling, I think. But people do it, don't they? They go overseas with no language skills at all. But you obviously had some interest in that. I was a linguist, in fact, because I studied modern languages at university, French and German. I'd worked in Belgium and learnt some Dutch, and so uh, areas of Northern Europe, I felt I would manage okay. Yeah, as well as two and a half years in Japan. Yes. So quite a range of of, um, experiences that you'd had. And so you began to think about it, and was that then straightforward? It just seemed like, yes, this is the right thing, and and I'll offer for mission work somewhere and and be sent. I wrote to ICS, and... um, the uh, general secretary was interested in uh, using our skills. They considered us much as a couple rather than as right. an individual. And um, they sent us to look at a church in Holland, and that didn't work out. In fact, there was another candidate who was okay. preferred. And then it was suggested we go to France to look at Grenoble, which was a new chaplaincy, or new in having a full-time chaplain. And that's where we ended up um, our first post overseas. Great. And so, Yoka, um, at what point in the, the process uh, were you married to Roy? 
1985, <laughs> so when Roy started his ministry in the church. Okay, as a, so about when the same time he's, yes, he was ordained. Yes. yes. Okay, um, but before that you'd had some previous overseas experience, hadn't you? Yes, I worked at the same time as Roy, actually, <clears throat> with Operation Mobilization. Yes. And I worked for a year in Belgium and two and a half years in India. And I came back feeling as a, an absolutely failure because um, whatever we did, it didn't seem to be, you know, a success story like you hear in the books. Yes. Well, none of us seem to have that same stories in the books, do we? And I, I just, I mean, we'll come on to this later, but I, I think one of the things that's really important for us to be telling stories of what it's really like, not just the great news stories when God does something amazing, but also actually the struggles when it doesn't go mm. like that. And so that must have been quite hard to come back, having thought that was something you were going to do longer term, perhaps? And no, I think OM is a training mission. Right. So it was really a time of finding out, is that the direction your life should take in? And for me, it didn't at that moment. <laughs> I went back to teaching because I was a teacher. And so I went back to Holland, taught for 11 years until by divine coincidence, we met up again and got married and then I became a clergy wife. Excellent. And um, and moved to England. Uh, did, <laughs> did that feel like doing missionary work, moving to England at that point? No. <laughs> no, no, not really. But uh, I must say the Church of England was totally foreign to me. So that was a difficult thing of learning to be part of that and also... I was always the foreign clergy wife, which I did find sometimes difficult. Yes, I can imagine. We were talking earlier and you were saying uh, somebody had once asked you about whether there was a training for clergy wives. So that gives you the idea that you are probably not a very good one. (laughs) Oh dear, no. (laughs) Oh no. Um, But I can see that that, that's hard coming into, yeah, just a very different culture of church and and trying to work out what your role is within that and it is not only the culture of the church it's the culture of the country right i mean i had lived in two different countries but england was a complete different kettle of fish because you think it's so close to holland you know it's more or less the same but it isn't Uh, no my only experience of being overseas i lived in america for nearly two years and again, you would think that couldn't be that hard. You know, yes. we more or less speak the same language. We yes. more or less have the similar. But I, I mean, I was homesick every day that I was there. And, and it was just, you know, the sort of little things that you, you're not prepared for to be different, mm. that, that just kind of catch you out every time and, and yeah. you make you realise this isn't quite the same uh, as home. So you've been married for a while. You've been in ministry for a while. Uh, and you said, Roy, that, that when you wrote to the um, ICS, they, they were interested in looking at you as a couple together. And so, um, Yoko, did you have that same sense that, that this was a right thing for you both to be doing? Yes, very much so. And we have always worked a lot together. And I think that is what I really liked about it. Um, it was much easier to go abroad for me than to stay in England mm-hmm. because we both were in a foreign country. Yeah. We both had to do the adaptation and also um, there was much more scope for me because I had the experience of living in a different country and all these women that you met, 
struggled with the same things I had gone through. So it was a kind of familiar to me and, and I wasn't the clergy wife anymore I was just yoker yeah that was wonderful oh that's really lovely isn't it so you went to France and what was that like what were you doing there you said it was a the a chaplaincy that was a full-time role for the first time yes so what did that look like on a sort of day-to-day week-to-week basis what were you doing well we started out with a very small group of people the church had declined Um, having been looked after from Lyon, 70 miles away, and that hadn't worked. So it was a question of getting to know people, building up a sense of confidence and purpose, having uh, regular Sunday services that were reliable and attractive to people, and a certain amount of um, managing um, details and administration. Um, The chief attraction of the church was the Sunday services, but we also found that um, informal getting together, social times, lunches, mm-hmm. meals together was very important. And helping people to settle in a foreign environment was a large part of our work as well. Um, that was the. the so local was problem. it an English speaking church? It was English speaking in France, yeah. yes. Um, and presumably, uh, well, did it have a denominational It was affiliation? Anglican. It was Anglican. Mm-hmm. So that's quite unusual in France. So were, were most of the people who were coming to your church not French? Yeah, most of them were not French, but we did have a number of French people, and particularly um, those who had married mm-hmm. uh, English-speaking spouses. Right. Um, and... There was a good mix of nationalities, Europeans and a few Americans and others from Africa, Asia. Gosh. It was um, an interesting mix. Yes. I mean, it sounds, when you're talking like that, it sounds to me very like Revelation 4 and all the the tribes and tongues and languages. And uh, we certainly don't have that in our little church uh, in rural Staffordshire, sadly. But we have a few, but, but we don't quite have that mix of nationalities. I mean, that must have been something wonderful to see. It's a great privilege to be in an international church. As you say, there's a bit of a foretaste of heaven there. And it's just not only very interesting, but very enriching because you learn all kinds of different ways of looking at um, the faith and scripture and life. And the sharing is very rich. Mm. And when you moved on from Grenoble, what what situation was the church in by the time you left? Had you been able to see real growth? It had grown a lot, and I don't take any credit for that. It simply had taken off with a number of people coming from other countries to work. Mm. And there was one employer, Caterpillar, who make um, earth-moving equipment. Yes. They brought in um, five or six Christian families all together. And that um, helped, of course, in the giving in the church, but also um, a sense of new life, new talent, uh, new enthusiasm. Mm. And that attracted more interest too. Mm. It can be a real blessing, can't it, small church, if even just one or two mature Christians start coming for whatever reason. Yeah. just gives a real boost to everybody else. And so what was the, the next stage? How long were you there for? Six years. Six years, okay. And then you moved on to somewhere else? Lithuania. Lithuania. Now, so tell us about Lithuania. I'm going to guess that, like me, most of our listeners don't really know very much about Lithuania at all. We know that it hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. This is where I should admit that I did go and do my research 
after recording the podcast. And in fact, Lithuania have never hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, Estonia have hosted it, but not Lithuania. Next year, Vilnius. <laughs> what what well, was it like when you moved there? Um, a lot of people hadn't got a clue about where it was. Even my mission director at that time, <laughs> when I mentioned it, said, I don't even know where that is. I think he, <laughs> he might have been joking. <laughs> let's, let's hope so. But um, in 2000, when we went, it had been independent for 10 years from the Soviet Union, but things were still very primitive and the change um, hadn't got nearly as far as it now has with the entry into the European Union. It wasn't in the EU. And when you say primitive, is that, do you mean people were just literally poor? Are we primitive in terms of technology, primitive in terms of government? In every way, really. Okay. Um, Poverty, um, poor um, management in terms of government and local Mm. government, Mm. and things hadn't really come out of the Soviet mentality and system in a lot of ways. Bureaucracy was still very Soviet style. And uh, when you arrived at the airport, um, it was very dark with a few light bulbs only. And you wondered, uh, why don't they switch the lights on? Gosh. And um, very shabby yeah. premises. Now things have changed quite a lot. Okay. But I mean, that's so that's 2000, that's 17 years ago. I mean, it's not, we're not talking long a long time ago, are we, really? People were... were Not that long, but it's changed quite a lot. Big change. Uh, Entry into the EU um, brought a lot of change. Yes, and and obviously the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, Yoko, can you tell us what the situation was there? So we know that under the Soviet Union, uh, Christianity was uh, strongly suppressed. What what had happened in the sort of 10 years since Lithuania had become independent? Were there churches? Was there a Christian community that you you were going to join? Um, There wasn't an English church, but there were lots of other churches. I mean, uh, there was a Pentecostal church and uh, another evangelical church, a Baptist church. Um, But Lithuania is basically Roman Catholic, and they had suffered quite a bit under the Soviets. Uh, those churches that you mentioned, they were all Lithuanian or Russian-speaking. Right. There wasn't an English-language church where we were. Yeah. So that was, again, one of the attractions of a church like ours. Anybody who could speak English or who couldn't speak Lithuanian would be um, And what, was there to... much of an international community there? There was um, quite a number of people because there was um, an English-language university um, with a lot of American teachers, right. North American, and students studied all in English. I and see. the students were Lithuanian and Russian and from nearby countries, Eastern Europe, and they spoke English. And then there was an oil company that had English speaking workers and a few other people who'd settled there and um, okay. business people. Okay, and so you were starting this English speaking church. From scratch. Yes. yes. Did you have other people sort of on the ground with you from the beginning? Did you have to go out and find your first church members? How did that happen? Um, I think Roy went around all the hotels and delivered um, literature that we were there. Um, yeah, and we invited any English-speaking person that we came across yeah. that we were going to start a church. Um, the college. Of course, we joined their Christian fellowship at first, 
but then they were willing to join us so that it was really the beginning of the church but it was very much on yeah you don't know how to start but you start <laughs> did you have somewhere to meet did you have any facilities i mean yes um now the anglican church has a um uh, an umbrella communion organization the porvo agreement right and a number of countries of lutheran uh, denomination and the anglican church uh, accept each other's ministry and do things together so we immediately contacted the lutheran church locally and they welcomed us with open arms and we're very happy to have an English-speaking church on similar lines to Lutheranism. And so immediately when I spoke to the pastor, he said, oh, you can use our church. Oh, lovely. And um, he um, encouraged us to use their facilities and their little um, meeting room. And uh, they were very generous. And without them, I don't know how we would have managed quite. It made things very much, very much easier. Wonderful. And can you tell us a little bit about how that church grew and developed and the, the maybe some of the really exciting things that you saw God doing while you were there? We started off with a number of families and we did a family service once a month and that went quite well. Um, and then more students were interested and then there was a disappointment because um, a number of businesses stopped employing overseas workers and we wondered what we're going to do now we have no families mm. and then we thought well let's start a student service so we started a student service once a month and that went very well and we did a, a little meal a kind of snack meal afterwards which again always attracts students yes <laughs> free so, food it's the same the world over isn't it yes yeah and so that compensated for the lack of um, young families that we had and uh, the numbers were about stable at 50 to 70 yeah. okay. in church services but it didn't end well did it okay it, it ended in fact with some dissatisfaction because we only had one or two anglicans mm. and they um, people were from Methodist, um, Presbyterian, Mennonite, all kinds of And they were attracted because you were still the English-speaking yes. church? Yes. But after five years, a lot of them were thinking, well, why are we worshiping, worshiping as an Anglican church when our majority are Presbyterian and Mennonite? Mm. And so in the end, there was a feeling we, or they wanted to have a denomination that was more uh, according to their background right. and chose not to continue as an Anglican church. And so what, what happened then to you so and Yonka? We, oh, we applied for a new post in Europe, in Holland. Okay. But for three months, and that probably was our most difficult period, wasn't it? We didn't know where we were going because it was coming to an end. Um, we probably also felt at the beginning it was so clearly led by the Lord. And it felt when we left, you know, that it was a failure, wasn't it? It certainly hadn't continued yeah. in the way we had expected. At the same time, you learned a big lesson in your life that it's the Lord's work and you are not in charge. And it's it's a hard lesson to learn, but it is how it is. It's very hard, isn't it? The Lord builds his church. And I find that a great encouragement when things seem to be going wrong in all sorts of ways. You know, the Lord will build his church and, it, and it's not up to me when I know I'm weak and incompetent. But it can feel very hard when you've spent a lot of your time and energy and invested in people and mm. and prayed and and thought you saw 
things going in a particular direction to trust God uh, when that changes. It was a very special church in that sense. It was, you often said, it's a motel church. People only came, the, the, the permanent members were probably only a handful. Right. And the rest, you know, came for half a year or a year or three months. So you had this constant change of people, mm. which was, in the end, very wearing. You know, every time you you welcomed people, but every time you said also goodbye again. Yes, it's very interesting. I know from talking to people who do student ministry in churches, they feel that. But they tend to get people for three years. If you're getting people just for a few months each time, mm. I can see that would become very difficult. Yeah. Because, you know, how can you plan and who do you rely on and you have to get to know people, as you say, very quickly and then say farewell very quickly. Mm-hmm. Exciting to be right at the beginning of the church and, and see all of that, but but as you say, obviously quite a, a difficult way for that to end. So you applied uh, to go somewhere else to Holland. Is that Did that work out? Yes, there was a vacancy in the Amsterdam team mm-hmm. and I applied to be chaplain of Hilo. Uh, chaplaincy which is a daughter church of Amsterdam so we joined a team of four clergy and uh, there were two Amsterdam churches that later increased to three and the chaplain at Amsterdam airport was also in our team so it was a nice team to belong to and and Yoko for you did it feel a little bit like going back home no not at all (laughs) no I think that was the most uh, uh, you know if you have been away for 20 years And I didn't live in the same area as where I grew up. Yeah, of course. It was uh, that adaptation back to your own country is much more difficult than going. Mm. Because I had been so used to be constantly the foreigner. And, mm. and all of a sudden people expect that you know everything. And and it just didn't feel very much at home at first. Yeah. I mean, of course, it, there is the familiarity, but... It is different. Yes, the the place changes and you change. And, and you change, yeah. Exactly, and then, and then I think maybe as well you don't have the same expectation that it will be different. So you're not quite braced for for it as, as much as you are yeah. when you move somewhere yeah. that you know is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I forget exactly how many years ago it is that you moved to Staffordshire and started coming along to Castle Five years. Is it really five years? Gosh. And that was retirement. Yes of a kind. <laughs> Tell us about all the ministry you've been doing since you retired. Um, at the beginning I told um, the vicar of Castle Church where we work mm. in Stafford that I couldn't do too much because I have a father who's getting on. Um, he's now 100 but he was 95 at the time. I yes. said don't ask me to do too much and so uh, Philip said well preach once a month and help out in groups or other ways. Um, but I also had the chance to do locum work, as it's called, um, filling in in vacancies on the continent in churches that we knew or knew of us. And so we would do up to three weeks, six weeks. Um, Only in this first year, really, or first two years. first two years we did that. Yes, you were sort of back in, in Germany. Yes, in Dusseldorf and in various places. But we it? couldn't commit to long term yes. or longer term because of caring for my father. Mm. And now he's um, less fit and less able, so we're restricted to being in England. 
And I'm still doing the same at Castle Church, preaching occasionally, leading some groups. Yes, which we value very much. Um, Roy and Yoke's Bible study group is the one with the waiting list that everybody wants to join. <laughs> it's, well, you laugh, but it's true. Everybody wants to be in it. We're all trying to work out how we can take days off work so we're free to do it <laughs> in a, on a weekday afternoon. Um, has that been a, a difficult transition as well, or has that was that quite straightforward? Um, it's been delightful. It's been uh, wonderful to retire, um, <laughs> Good. continue ministry, continue serving the Lord, but not have the difficult parts, the responsibility, the concern, worry. We're not supposed to worry, but mm. there's the burden of caring and leading, and that's all taken away, and one can simply serve without thinking too much about the planning and um, the problems. Yeah. Yes, very good. And how about for you, Yoko? Have you uh, found these last five years a, a fruitful time for you? I don't know if it has been. <laughs> One of the things is I probably... Um, it was nice to be free of the burden. At the same time, uh, looking after my father-in-law has been yeah. increasingly... Um, no, not difficult. Hard. Heavy going. Heavy going, yes. because I have two households now, and um, yeah, it's not always that easy, uh, because a father-in-law is different from your own father, but yeah, I'm happy in the church because we have a, a good church where there is good spiritual food, and um, yeah, for the rest, it's the same adaptation as to every other country again. Um, I do miss, honestly, a little bit the international side of it. But fortunately, we have some people in the church <laughs> who are foreign too. <laughs> I know. So you, um, there's a couple that, that I know you and Roy have spent a lot of time with who are English and Korean, yes. and and I know Amy's really enjoyed um, mm. Amy's Korean, and, and she's really enjoyed having uh, you two around. And but but you're right, we're not a very international church. We're not a very international town in Stafford, but no. but I think we are poorer for that in lots of ways. Well, I don't know. I mean, that is normal life, really. Mm. But it it is good to have a little bit more of a wider vision than yeah. just your own church and uh, and I think we can all do with that a bit more. Yes, I'm sure you're right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that you both have many more years uh, with us and serving in, in all kinds of ways, but, but you are officially retired. So I am going to ask you, as you look back uh, to 1985 and, and I guess before that as well, when you were uh, thinking about and, and training for ministry. Are there things that you wish somebody had said to you then um, that uh, you, the things that you wish you'd known then, perhaps? I think incidental things. I've noticed areas of ignorance, areas where I wasn't trained, and um, I don't know if students these days uh, have a fuller educational training. They might well do. Um, I remember at the beginning, conflict it was an area that mm. I had never really thought about. And uh, to have some Christian preparation, perhaps under the uh, area of pastoral training, how to handle conflict, that would have been helpful. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true for many people, isn't it? And I'm not sure it, it is really addressed in a lot of 
uh, training that goes on now, but it, it's inevitable, isn't it? With the best one in the world, churches are full of sinners, and there's going to be conflict. And then I think everybody finds there is in their work some new area where they thought, think, help, I haven't trained in that area, I wish I knew more about this. Uh, it can be all kinds of things. For me it was um, ignorance of other cultures, particular cultures, um, and one thing I, I found on the positive side is um, I wish I had known that finances wouldn't be a problem because <laughs> so often you think how are we going to manage yes and um, the Lord is we've very been faithful. blessed so much mm. and it's been quite remarkable the way that finances have come in mm. um, as we've served wonderful um yeah Chris is there anything that you think you wish someone had come alongside you and and said or encouraged you all those years ago I think what I appreciated in our second post most of all was that that was a team ministry where we had uh, clergy wives together with the, the clergy and we kind of formed a team we prayed for one another and I sometimes had wished that there were more people who would take the initiative to go to a clergy wife and ask her to pray to pray with her. Right. Um, I think they still have a hesitation, you know, oh, she must take the initiative first. Uh, it's sometimes a little bit of a lonely post. Yes. Actually quite lonely. And I think it would be good that people realise that a clergy wife needs friends as well. And friends that are faithful and friends that are reliable and, you know, don't gossip and whatsoever what yeah. comes with it. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, very helpful. And um, either of you, um, is there anything that you would want to say to perhaps people who are just at the beginning or, or even just thinking about going into ministry who might be wondering whether the Lord is calling them to serve overseas. Is there encouragement you want to give them or uh, words of advice or, um, yeah? Um, I would think I would encourage people to have a taste of living abroad and try it out for a while and see if that is your style, your, your thing. Um, and I would advise people to think very hard about whether they they will need to learn a language, um, if possible to prepare beforehand, but if not, um, to be prepared on the job to learn the language. It's, I think, essential to get to know the culture and language of the people amongst whom you're working. Of course, that won't apply if you go to America or some... Uh, uh, it applies countries. if you go to America. Um, it's a slightly <laughs> different language language advice. And that's really interesting, because you've worked in English-speaking churches, but actually you would still say learning the language of the culture around was was that important? I think so. Yeah, that's really interesting. Is there anything you would add to that, Yoka? I think you need to know yourself a little bit. If you are not very adapt adaptable or flexible in your normal life, then it's a lesson that you had to learn beforehand and not when you get there because you will be stretched to the limit. Mm. Um, I think for women especially it might be good if you are not a mother that you have a profession 
something that you can do because mm. there might be times that that you would like to do something because otherwise your life might be a little bit too lonely yes yeah and get involved and something that's not directly connected with the church as no, well could no. be very valuable no. in lots of ways no. yeah and get involved you know in 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 other things as well but yeah. I, I agree with Roy the language is so important and people forget that all the time you know if you can't speak the language you can't communicate mm. and you can't communicate the gospel either an absolute pleasure talking to Roy Njoka about their ministry in Europe and in this country over the years. I don't know about you, but I often think of missionaries in sort of deepest, darkest Africa in the jungle, or maybe out in the Far East being Hudson Taylor in China or in somebody in, in South America. And it's just really good to be reminded that even now in the 21st century, there are really needy places for people to go and serve uh, overseas, even on our doorstep in Europe, and to hear about the work uh, that Roy and Yoko were able to establish in Lithuania, even though uh, that's now gone on in a slightly different direction. One of the uh, churches that Roy and Yoko went and did locum work for was Christ Church in Dusseldorf. That is a church society parish in the Diocese of Europe. Uh, slightly oddly, the Church of England has dioceses all over England and then one that covers the whole of Europe. So there are Anglican churches, there aren't many of them, but there are Anglican churches around Europe and we in Church Society are delighted to have uh, parishes that we have links with there as well. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You can get in touch to let us know what you thought about it. Tweet us at Church Society, comment on our Facebook page, or as always, you can email me, ros at churchsociety.org. Do tune in again next week. Mm